Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, January 13th of 2021, and it corresponds to our newsletter episode, which you can find at mariehaines.com slash newsletter, uh, episode number 166. I have to tell you, last week when I was recording, so last week was probably my favorite podcast episode so far. I uh, recorded it on January 6th, and if you've missed it, if you do a freelance SEO or are thinking at all of starting your own business, I shared a lot about my journey and how I went from just learning about SEO to um, actually uh, starting to charge for advice and eventually uh, hiring people and running an SEO agency. Um, and I heard from a lot of you, thank you so much to those of you who reached out either on Twitter or YouTube and other places, uh, just to say that that uh, podcast episode really resonated with you. Uh, so thank you for that. What I didn't realize while I was recording this is that the world was changing uh, at the time I was recording it. I, I have to say I was getting texts from my husband, David, um, and normally I turn off all of my notifications while I'm recording podcast. And what happened last week was I was getting text after text. He said, uh, there's people in the U.S. Capitol and there's shootings. And uh, at the time there was word of potentially a bomb going off and a number of things. And so I had to make a decision do I keep recording this podcast? Do I stop and figure out what's going on in the world? Uh, and I kept recording the podcast. So if you're wondering why I was a little insensitive to the what's happening on in the world, I didn't know at the time uh, what was happening. My American friends hang in there. Uh, I don't know what words of, um, I have no words of wisdom to pass on at this time. I just know that things are really challenging for a lot of different reasons right now. So, um, I saw a post on Twitter today that it was a poll that asked people, look, are you going to keep running your ad campaigns? Are you going to keep, uh, you know, informing people about things this week, even though the world is really grieving and dealing with uh, a lot of really uh, challenging things in the United States? Um, I still think, you know, it's not my place to talk about politics um, and maybe we should uh, put a pause on some conversations, uh, but the world goes on and I think most of you want to know what is Google doing and um, how can we make better websites. So uh, I've decided to go ahead and, and uh, record this podcast this week. I mentioned last week that the podcast is a little bit different now. Um, I'm still going to be mentioning what's important in the news. And as we go through this podcast, I'll share with you uh, the most important news that happened this week for SEO. But I'm going to be really focusing on uh, the changes that are relevant to ranking better. Um, my main workload now uh, from day to day is to figure out traffic drops for clients. Um, and it's been that way for quite a while. You know, my areas of expertise are in understanding EAT in understanding how Google's algorithms work and what they reward and also understanding link quality. And I was finding that uh, for quite a while now, I've been trying to thoroughly understand absolutely every aspect of SEO. Um, and I know many of you appreciate that, but I also know that I can't do a great job because nobody can understand absolutely every aspect of SEO, except maybe your Barry Schwartz. He's super human. Uh, <laughs> but when I decided to focus just on the things that I'm passionate about, um, the parts of the newsletter that I write, you know, my team writes the vast majority of the newsletter, um, and that helps keep them up to date with what's happening with Google News, but I write the parts on Google algorithm updates and things like that. And so that's what I'm going to be sharing about in the weeks to come. And if you have any suggestions for me, if there's parts of podcasts that maybe I'm not paying a lot of attention to now that you used to find useful, please do uh, reach out to me. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can leave a comment. Uh, and really the best place to reach me is on Twitter. You can always find me Marie underscore Haynes uh, on Twitter. Um, so let's talk this week. You know, in this episode, we're going to talk about a possible small Google update uh, that happened over the last few days. I'm going to do some discussion on Google's better understanding of intent, which is really, really exciting to me. Um, I'm going to want to talk about whether dis the December core update actually lowered the dial in terms of authority. Uh, we've got some interesting stuff to share there. And loads of stuff that has come out, well, actually not loads of stuff, but just interesting 
interesting stuff that's come out on subtopics. Uh, this is something that I think is really important, and I think uh, it can help us understand some of the new search results that we're seeing after the December core update. Um, and we do also have a Q and a section. I'm going to see if we have time for this, but if we do, um, the Q and a is going to talk about, uh, two things. One, should you create one massive informative blog post on a particular subject, or is it best to break that out into different topics? And two, should you link out from your author pages if your authors have written for other uh, important publications? So I'm going to share my thoughts on that uh, as we go through this podcast. But first, I want to tell you about the brutal, brutal day that I had yesterday. Maybe you'll find some humor in this. I know so many of us are going through really hard times right now. And uh, yesterday was a very hard day for me. Um, but I also know that it could have been way worse. You know, my family's healthy. <laughs> we're, none of us have COVID. We're, we're in a home. You know, maybe it, it's unfortunate that we're stuck in a home, but we're stuck in a good home. We, we like this house and we like hanging out with our family and things could be worse. But let me tell you about my day yesterday. So I started with online school. How many of you are trying to figure out online school right now? I, I know in Ontario, some people uh, started in online school right in September and we just decided that it was important for our children to have the social interaction um, in school. And we've actually been pretty impressed with how Ontario is handling uh, COVID and, and, you know, precautions like that. Um, but online school has been a really, really big headache. And I spent, I would say, probably about four hours yesterday tr just trying to get my youngest logged on to her online school. And uh, I won't go through all of the frustrations that we had, but it was really frustrating. And today I posted a thing on Twitter about how, um, you know, we got most of the bugs worked out. And then the teacher, uh, I guess, wasn't wearing headphones and there was this heat feedback loop of sound and we would hear this echo of the teacher and the echo, uh, as it, it just kept getting worse and worse. And eventually the, the children started screaming because a lot of them were wearing headphones and the sound was so loud. But as the children started screaming, that got uh, worked into the audio feedback loop. And so now the feedback loop was screaming over and over again. And at the same time, I started laughing. I was trying to videotape this because it was absolutely hilarious and I couldn't hold my camera. I was laughing so hard. Um, and as I was laughing so hard, that got incorporated into the feedback loop as well. And so we got louder and louder versions of, of, of language and, and yelling and screaming and laughing, uh, over and over and over again until I thought, our computer was going to explode. <laughs> it did not. And we figured it out and it was okay. But that was kind of indicative of online school for me. Things are really, really challenging. And then from there, I went to do my search engine journal talk. So, uh, I don't know if you, uh, signed up for search engine journals e-summit. Um, but I really enjoyed my talk. I, I spoke with, um, uh, Jackie Chu, uh, who does SEO for Uber and the two of us, you know, we had a, we had a really good talk and I, I thought it was, uh, I, I learned a lot from Jackie. Um, and I learned a lot in, uh, presenting my talk as well. And so search engine journal had loads of tech issues so many tech issues. Uh, yet my talk went okay. I had a couple times where our internet, uh, kind of cacked out on me and, um, didn't go so well, but it, it was all right. But then so many other things happened. I got a ticket in the mail for running a red light. I've never done that in my life. And I looked at the ticket and it's a, um, a, a camera. It's those red light cameras, right? And it says you can clearly see that your vehicle is in the intersection and the light had been red for 0.3 seconds. So I got a $325 ticket for being 0.3 seconds too urgent in getting through a light. I got a phone call right after that from MasterCard saying our MasterCard had been compromised unless I was actively purchasing tickets to travel all over Quebec, which was not the case. Um, at the same time, or, uh, Ontario announced that we're going into a very strict lockdown. So all of my frustrations with online school will be there for at least another month. <laughs> and other things happened as well. It was absolutely insane. Um, and so I finished this day. Uh, I said to my team, look, 
I'm having problems. This has been a really, really hard day. And so what we did was we jumped online and played an impromptu game of Among Us. Uh, actually, we played quite a few games of Among Us. And I'm horrible at Among Us. I'm a very... If you haven't played Among Us, it's basically like a murder mystery that you have to kill people if you're uh, labeled as the murderer or the imposter. And then you have to lie about it and get people to convince people that it's not you. Um, and I'm a really, really bad imposter. But I actually won a game. So that was good. And we, we had a really good time and I laughed a lot and at the end of the day uh David and I were getting ready to <laughs> to head to bed and David said at least the day's over we made it nothing else bad can happen so I got into bed and David goes out to the, the kitchen and I hear this groaning and like weird noises coming from the kitchen and he stepped in a massive pile of cat vomit that was my day. So today, here I am. And if you can, if you're wondering why I'm maybe not as cheerful as usual, there's been a lot of stress going on in my life. So uh, let's move on. You don't want to hear about all the stress in my life. Instead, let's talk about what we need to know about Google this week. First, before we archive 2020 and pretend it never happened, we thought we'd have a quick look back at some of the developments our sponsor, Sitebulb, has gone through this year. Sitebulb have added a whole new host of SEO auditing features recently, including site-wide structured data testing, crawl scheduling, point-and-click content extraction, and loads more. So if you've been meaning to give Sitebulb a try, now is a really good time to do that. As one of our listeners, you can get a special 60-day trial extended license at sitebulb.com slash search news. So I'd encourage you to go there and give it a go. Uh, Sitebulb is really, really a great tool when it comes to auditing websites. So let's get on to the SEO news that you're here for. Uh, first of all, let's talk about this potential algorithm update. So as I'm recording this, this is January 13th. Um, and when we did our checks to look back at what uh, traffic traje trajections we're seeing and whether websites were affected by a Google update, we saw quite a few sites that saw changes between January 7th and January 9th. Now, Barry Schwartz has an article on Search Engine Roundtable that shows that, um, you know, uh, many, many people are talking about keyword ranking changes as well as traffic changes. And so what we're trying to figure out is whether Google actually made changes to their algo at this time. Um, they told us that the December core update has finished rolling out. That was, uh, I think, as of December 16th. So this is not the December core update, although it's it's certainly possible that they've made tweaks to that update. Um, it is possible that this is connected to the world events that happened on January 6th. Um, world events can even impact keyword rankings as Google determines um, what it is that is important to people uh, on a, a particular time. I do think, though, that Google probably did something uh, at this time. So we're going to keep that in mind. I did not thoroughly analyze it this week. Um, but if we see uh, more of our clients that were impacted at this time and have a lasting effect from it, then we'll come back to that and, uh, and look more into it. If you as a listener were affected by something between January 7th to 9th, I'd love for you to reach out to me on Twitter and just let me know. Uh, screenshots of your analytics are always helpful um, because the more people we can see that say, yes, this is what happened to me and this is what I saw, the better we can put the pieces together and help everybody uh, who's trying to, to rank better. Um... Lily Ray has been sharing some really good stuff about the December core update on Twitter. If you're not following Lily, you know, if you find my stuff interesting, you'll find Lily's stuff interesting as well. She's, uh, puts extensive time into trying to understand Google's algorithms and what it is they reward, especially in the area of EAT. Um, and so, uh, Lily actually shared some interesting screenshots about, uh, one website that did well with the December core update. And that website's called switchback travel.com. If you're a subscriber to our newsletter, you'll see uh, in the premium section screenshots that show um, rankings for one of the terms that they did really well for. So I actually spent some time uh, just kind of looking at the rankings before December and after December for some of these terms that this particular website did well for. And the term that I spent most time on was uh, the phrase ski goggles. 
Now, ski goggles is an interesting term because it can have two types of intent, two major types of intent. There's probably many tiny types of intent as well. Uh, but let's say uh, you did a search for ski goggles. The two major types of intent could be, number one, I want to go buy some ski goggles. That would be transactional intent. And number two, I want more information on ski goggles. Uh, and that's obviously informational intent. Those two can be tied. I mean, most people who get to the point of actually wanting to buy a product have already done research or are looking for research on information uh, to help them make that purchasing decision. That's how we do things on the web. We try to learn about things and then we go to a website to buy that particular thing. Well, what we did was we looked at which sites were ranking for ski goggles uh, before December and also after the December. And it was very interesting to see that, uh, prior to December, the sites that were ranking at the top were all transactional websites. Um, they were all websites where you could go and you could purchase ski goggles. And, uh, after the update, uh, the sites that received the biggest boost were those that talked about information. And the other thing that we thought was really, really interesting. Now we probably could have spent 10 hours just analyzing this one particular SERP. Uh, but the thing that stood out to me the most was several of the informational posts that improved in rankings went to great lengths to talk about how they had had expert advice in their post. Uh, and so one of the posts said, uh, in the left sidebar, uh, where they had their author bio, it said something like, uh, we asked several experts their opinion on the top ski goggles, and here's what we saw. Now, I don't think that Google's algorithms are as simple uh, to, to crack as just, you know, adding the word experts into your document. But I do think that Google's looking for that kind of thing. So let's say you have an article on a topic that's very important to you, but you're not actually seen as the experts in this industry. A good example would be like, let's say I wrote an article uh, that talked a little bit about paid search. I have some expertise, ah, and expertise is the wrong word. I have some experience in paid search, but I don't have expertise there. It's not something that, uh, you know, I don't actively run PPC campaigns for my clients. Um, and so if I wrote an article on paid search, would that really be uh, something that Google would want to rank? Probably not. So how could I make that something that could rank well? Well, what I would probably do is go and interview a whole bunch of people who I know are experts on paid search. And then my article has quotes from people that Google probably already recognizes as experts in this area. And uh, so that's something that we're going to start recommending more of now is, um, you know, try to get more quotes from experts. It, it, it makes sense to me. You know, if I was doing research on a particular article, uh, I'm looking at, do I actually think this, uh, this person, this business, this individual um, has the expertise to teach me on this topic? topic. Uh, and I think readers are getting more and more savvy in understanding like, oh, this is just a content farm. They may not know the words, this is just a content farm, uh, but they can recognize when a post truly has expertise or not. Um, and so uh, I think you'll find that interesting in newsletter, how we show how the SERPs really shifted from uh, commercial intent to informational intent. What we don't know though, is whether that was the core update or whether that was just what happens after Christmas. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious or it's pretty plausible maybe that Google's algorithms look at search results uh, when people are trying to do holiday shopping, uh, they're going to prefer to rank sites that are transactional. Uh, and it makes sense that in January, a lot of websites will see boosts that don't make sense. Like you would expect um, maybe a site that talks about fitness or diets uh, to actually do well in January because people are creating their New Year's resolutions. Um, but we often see improvements in sites in every January where it doesn't make sense. And I think what we're seeing, I don't think this is a new thing that January causes uh, SERP intent to change in a lot of cases where Google will start to prefer again, a lot of author or, uh, informational websites. So, um, you know, there's a lot more, that's kind of my main work over the next little while is looking at particular clients that have come to us with December core update or drops and, uh, and trying to figure out why. Why, in, in every case, our answer to the December core update is that 
Google did a better job at understanding what it is a searcher is looking for and presenting them uh, with results that maybe perhaps meet their searches. I want to keep talking about Lily. Uh, Lily did another tweet as well that talked about, um, do you remember back in June of 2020? It was a very long time ago feels like way longer than it was because 2020 was about 10 years long. Um, but back in June, there was an update that was not a core update. It was one that we called the government update. Uh, and the reason we called it that was because we saw great increases in rankings for many official government sites. So sites like the cdc.gov or fda.gov, sites like that, uh, had a very large boost in June. And one of the things that we speculated on was that this was connected to what Google says in their white paper on how they can fight disinformation. And in that white paper, they say that in times of crisis, which the world is certainly in a time of crisis right now, in times of crisis, they can prefer uh, authority over relevance. And so something changed in June to cause that. And what's really, really interesting is that um, uh, some of those changes seem to have been reversed with the December core update. Not completely. I don't, I don't think Google completely reversed it. Well, let's talk again about this. What does it mean to turn up the dial in terms of authority? I keep talking about this video. If you haven't watched it, search up trillions of questions. Uh, it's a video. They call it a home movie by Google. Uh, it's really, really good. And there's a lot of clues in there as to how Google search works. Uh, and if you are an SEO, it's pretty much required watching, in my opinion, to, uh, uh, to watch this video because uh, I've learned so, so much from it. One of the things that they talked about in this video was the situation where uh, a few years ago we had issue with sites ranking. If you did a search that was, um, did the Holocaust exist? Did the Holocaust happen? And I think most of us listening to this have no doubt that the Holocaust was a horrible event in history. Um, and yet in the past, if you did a search for, did this happen? What Google would show you is all these pages that, uh, that argue that the Holocaust did not happen. And what they said in the video was that authoritative websites, they didn't need to have paragraphs of text to, to explain that, yes, this was an actual event that actually happened. You know, if I wrote an article on, um, I don't know, uh, the December core update, I don't start off talking about whether or not it happened. I just write about it, right? And so the only sites that were talking about whether or not the Holocaust happened were kind of less reputable websites. Um, and Google found them relevant to the query because the reputable websites weren't actually answering that question because it was just understood that, yes, this Holocaust happened. So... Um, What they said in this video was we turned up the dial on authoritativeness and that made all the difference. Now that was back then. That was a couple years ago. I don't think we're talking about the June uh, government update. But what that tells us is that Google can just choose uh, to, to determine, you know, all right, at this time when the world is in crisis, if we're not sure about a certain query, then we're going to err on the side of caution and just show results from authoritative websites. Now, one example would be, let's say I did um, a search for a medical query. And maybe it's a medical query that Google doesn't have a lot of information on, but they see that they have a page from the Mayo Clinic on this particular medical query. Well, Google has enough trust in the Mayo Clinic that they can probably say, well, look, we, we don't need to fact check this across things in the knowledge graph. You know, we don't need to prove that what the Mayo Clinic is saying is true because we have such trust in the Mayo Clinic. Now, let's say you had a personal blog and you had all these theories about this medical topic that really aren't backed and supported in other places. Well, why would Google want to rank your theory, even if it is more relevant to people who are searching on this potential cure or something that doctors don't all, all recognize as, uh, as good? Um, and so one of the things that we noticed was that uh, with the December core update, it seems that in some cases they made it so that there was less emphasis on authoritativeness and a little bit more emphasis on um, uh, websites that are relevant. And let me see if I can explain this a little bit more. Um, there's a 
page that everybody should take a look at on Wikipedia, and it's talking about fringe theories. Now, fringe, F-R-I-N-G-E, it's kind of a weird word. Fringe theories. Now, the reason why I mention this is that uh, at some point last year, somebody surfaced a bio from a Google employee named Paul Har. And uh, Paul Har is an engineer at Google. And if you look at his bio, it says, here's his mission, less fringy search. And the summary is fringe ranking, not showing fake news, hate speech, conspiracy theories, or science, medical, or history denial, unless we're sure that's what the user wants. Now, that was interesting because what we found was that uh, even if the user was looking for like alternative medical treatments uh, and was searching on Google for it, it was very hard to find anything in, in regards to AltMed. Um, and with the December core update, some of our AltMed clients actually improved, but a number of AltMed sites did not. And so, um, you know, I think that Google got better at figuring out what is hokey, pseudo, fringe science, whatever you want to call it, and what's closer to being recognized as truth by experts in, in your area. Now, this page on Wikipedia about fringe theories, uh, it, it classifies fringe theories in three different ways, and I think it's important to look at this. We don't know whether Google actually does this in their algorithms, uh, but it kind of makes sense to me when we look at it. So the three categories that um, Wikipedia uses for fringe theories are number one, pseudoscience, number two, questionable science, and number three, alternative theoretical formulations. That's a lot of words, but basically pseudoscience, they say, is proposals that while purporting to be scientific are obviously bogus. And this is probably what Google's talking about where they say, look, if you have an article that talks about how carrots can cure cancer, you sure as hell better have references. That's a straight quote from Gary Ish, uh, a PubCon. He said, you sure as hell better have references to support those posts, those points. Um, another example that Wikipedia uses to support fringe theories, uh, and to, to describe what they are is astrology. There's many people that believe in astrology, uh, but really it's generally considered to be a pseudoscience talking about, you know, your sign and, um, how that impacts your, your, your day-to-day, -day, uh, uh, you know, life. Uh, and so, you know, some people could argue, well, there is some evidence that astrology works and maybe there's anecdotal evidence that, you know, the newspaper said, uh, well, everybody with my sign is going to have this thing happen to them today. And it happened to me. So it's got to be legit. Like you, you, you can't base things on anecdotal, anecdotal evidence. Um, the next was questionable science. And the example that Wikipedia gave was hypotheses which have substantial following, but which critics describe as pseudoscience. Um, and so it says, uh, if there's something that is a little bit iffy in this area, then, um, it should not be described as unambiguously pseudoscientific while a reasonable amount of academic debate still exists on this point. And I think that much of alternative medicine falls in this realm. You know, we could say, Hey, these particular essential oils seem to help a lot of people, but there's no science to back it up. Or, um, you know, there's many situations where there seems to be some people who believe that this alternative treatment works, but there's not a lot of uh, consensus among the experts in that field, which brings us to the third point, which is alternative theoretical formulations. And the reason why I mention this is this sort of talks about how, um, some subjects can move from the point of being considered as pseudoscience to, all right, maybe we should consider this. And I think this is part of what's happening with some of the alternative medical clients that we had see improvements. Um, so let's see here. Alternative theoretical formulations from within the scientific community are not pseudoscience, but part of the scientific process. I'm quoting from Wikipedia here again on fringe theories. They should not be classified as pseudoscience, but should still be put into context with respect to the mainstream perspective. Uh, for instance, and the, so the example that they give is continental drift. Um, it was heavily criticized because there was no known mechanism for continents to move and the proposed mechanisms were implausible. When a mechanism was discovered through plate tectonics, it became mainstream. Um, and then it goes on to say, in other cases, an alternative theoretical formulation lacks significant evidence to show its validity. But when such evidence is produced, 
they can become mainstream. An example that they give of that is the Big Bang Theory. Uh, I'm not too familiar with how the Big Bang Theory, you know, was formulated, but uh, it's generally recognized as true by much of the scientific community. But there was a time when it probably wasn't. It was probably seen as either pseudoscience or some type of fringe theory. So what am I trying to explain here? Uh, we have a client that ranks in an alternative medicine um, area that uh, really was loosely backed by science. And when we gave them the report that said, like, look, I don't think there's a lot in Google's knowledge graph that backs up your claims here. They said, but really there is. Like there really was science to back up their claims. And one of the things that we speculated was as those claims, as more information gets fed into Google's knowledge graph and Google gets more information to say, oh, you know what? This particular expert in this field of medicine, they actually recognize this as a legitimate field of medicine. Um, and as more and more people start saying, you know what? This is not hokey. This is not carrots cure cancer. This is a legitimate treatment. And more and more evidence is ready. Then Google's algorithms can start to recognize that. So I, I'm kind of wondering if, when we have core updates, if it means that Google has um, implemented some of the stuff that's in the knowledge graph, uh, some of the new information that has appeared, some of the new expert theories, the new expert writings that have been seen uh, online, or uh, whether there's something else that's going on. You know, maybe Google's algorithms just got better at saying, well, we've got this information, we've got this information, and when we put it all together, this actually seems legit. Uh, I don't know how Google did it, uh, but um, the fact is that we're seeing uh, websites, some of the websites that were very obviously suppressed, and most of these were suppressed with the June 2019 core update, uh, where we felt that Google made changes to suppress sites that, uh, contradicted scientific consensus. Um, I'm going to stop on this now because I, I feel like I'm going to be talking about this for quite a while. Uh, I've got some articles uh, in the works here coming out on this. So if you're interested in more on this discussion, then stay tuned. I'll, I'll be talking about this quite a bit more uh, in the days to come. But let's move on to the idea of subtopics. So Glenn Gabe tweeted uh, just a couple days ago, from last night, Danny Sullivan confirmed that subtopics are now live. They were first mentioned in October in a post about AI and search. That's the post that also introduced passages. Subtopics don't change the look of search results, but broaden diversity of content when useful. So I spent some time looking at Google's documentation on sub passages. They went live apparently, according to Danny Sullivan in mid November. And this is, reminds me of when hummingbird went live uh, a few years ago, all these SEOs said, well, we didn't notice anything, but in hindsight we can say, yeah, 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 that's what happened. Um, you know, subtopics. So they're a little bit confusing because they're not, at first I thought they were almost a, a, a SERP feature, like perhaps uh, people also ask boxes. And what I mean by that is um, something new that we'd see in the search results where we'd say, oh, you searched for this topic? Well, we think you're also interested in this, this, and this. Um, and the example that Google gave said, if you search for home exercise equipment, we can now understand relevant subtopics such as budget equipment, premium picks, or small space ideas and show a wider range of content for you on the search results page. Now, those results are not shown like a SERP feature. They're not a, a people also ask box. They're not anything that looks outside of a normal search result. Instead, what you're seeing is, um, you know, Google's actually trying to figure out like when people search for home exercise equipment, you know, maybe some people are looking specifically for budget equipment and they'll make that one of the options that ranks well. And so uh, there's an article that I, I did not get a chance to read and I want to read this over the next week um, by Mark Traphagen. Uh, I believe it was on Search Engine Journal this week that talks about something he calls micro intents. And uh, so we've been talking about how Google is measuring search intent and they're looking at, uh, is this a transactional search? Is this an informational search? And I think that subtopics are a way to break this down even more because Google is doing better and better at trying to understand the intent of searchers. So, um, I want to kind of share a little bit of an example here with you. We have, um, 
a client that uh, we were reviewing a December 3rd core update drop. And one of the pages that saw big drops was this page that they have that has a calculator for a particular type of thing. It's kind of like a mortgage calculator, but specific to their industry. And the search results, if you searched for this particular type of calculator, what it used to show us was just different versions of the calculator. It was like, you know, again, if it was mortgage calculators, I'd maybe see this bank's version and this website's version of a calculator. Um, and so before, if you search for this calculator, you would see all these different types of calculators. And now what we find is when we're searching, yes, the first post that ranks has the calculator. The second post though, that Google ranked that Google elevated with this December core update, not only has the calculator, but it has all sorts of instructions on why you would use it. Uh, why you find it valuable, what other types of calculators you might use. It really, really does a good job for those people who aren't quite at the point of realizing I need a calculator. Instead, they're just doing research. They're trying to find more information. So why am I sharing all this? I feel like I've kind of babbled about a lot of information that maybe, maybe doesn't make 100% sense. And, and what I want to say is that the most important thing you can do after the December core update is analyze which keywords you lost rankings for and who won in that situation. For our client with the calculator, we advise them to experiment in adding more informational content on that page um, and potentially even additional pages. We'll see, uh, you know, we're going to experiment with a few things. Um, and we also advise that they made good use of headings and other design elements to capture readers. This is something that uh, I'm going to make as a part two to the article that I'm writing on the December core update. We're really seeing that. Uh, it just seems like the pages that do a good job at captivating users, the pages that do a good job at, uh, you know, I, I read one study this week that says that users uh, generally take about three seconds to decide whether they're going to engage with a particular page. Uh, and we think that, and what actually says in the article that there's things that users, readers use, uh, like headings and even bolded words or words that are hyperlinked. We skim through these to try to determine, do I want to engage with this page or should I go back to the Google search results? and do another search. And our goal should be to get more and more users to within three seconds say, ah, my, this page is the one that I want to read because this is the one that answers all of my questions. So my main point is to look at which keywords you've lost rankings for. Um, if you are a subscriber of, uh, either Ahrefs or SEMrush, then, uh, both of those tools will give you the option of looking historically at search results. And we find those very, very useful. I do, I don't know how all their plans work and what costs they are. Um, I think some of these, uh, plans are fairly expensive. If you're not a member of either of these, then I would encourage you to take some screenshots of SERPs for keywords that are important to you. You know, every week or so, you should probably take a screenshot and you can see things like, oh, maybe Google uh, never used to have a shopping carousel in there. Now they've got a shopping carousel and that pushes my client's organic results down. And if that's the case, maybe your client should try to get in the shopping carousel. Um, and also what you're looking at is like, all right. So for one of our clients, they ranked uh, number three for their main keyword. And then after the December core update, they still ranked number three for their main keyword, but they saw massive drops in clicks. And what we saw was that the post that Google had elevated to number two above our client was far better than our client. Uh, and so we've made uh, suggestions to our client on uh, how you can do a better job at captivating searchers. So there's a lot that can be learned by looking at what happened before and after a particular update, which is probably brings us to a good time to talk about our uh, sponsor Hrefs. I've always tried to do this where, um, where we're talking about our sponsored, uh, our sponsored material, that it's good and helpful for everybody who's listening to this. So don't tune out at this point, because I think this is really interesting information. I wanted to talk to you today about Hrefs uh, SEO toolbar. They didn't ask us to do this. We, we just sort of pick out um, which parts of the tool we find useful. And uh, you can use Ahrefs toolbar even if you're not a paid subscriber for Ahrefs, and it'll tell you a lot of stuff. But the thing that we found really useful uh, lately was that you can actually simulate searching from a different location. Um, and I've got some screenshots and newsletter about that. Uh, 
but basically when you do a search, uh, you can choose which country you want to search from, which language you want to search from, uh, which user agent, which is very, very interesting, uh, and a number of other things. And then the search results tell you loads of stuff, uh, such as how many linking domains each site in the SERP has, how many keywords that particular page is ranking for, and much more. So if you're doing any sort of comparative work to determine uh, why is my client not ranking and why is the site, uh, this competitor ranking above them, I really encourage you to download uh, Ahrefs toolbar. Again, it's free for everybody. And uh, I found it very, very, very helpful. I'm going to move on now to our Q&A section. If you want to ask me a question about SEO, then my areas of expertise are mostly on EAT, understanding Google's algorithms, uh, and link quality. I'm always happy to answer questions about disavowing. If you're not sure whether you should be disavowing, uh, you know, ask me a question. I'll, I'll see if I can get that into podcast. You can ask, uh, you can ask me on Twitter, Marie underscore Haynes. We also have in our newsletter, again, mariehaines.com slash newsletter, uh, a form that you can use to submit a question. Um, this first question comes from Adam Durant and, uh, he tweeted at me, Hey, Marie Haynes, just wanted to say thanks for your thought leadership on EAT principles. I found your insight so valuable over the last 12 months. Thank you. Now I flattered you. <laughs> Can I ask kindly for your thoughts on linking from author pages to past publications? For example, if an author has written for or been featured in five great publications and I list them in their author bio page, would you link to each? Would you link to specific articles on each? No follow? What's the best for users in your opinion? Well, thanks Adam for that great question. You, the flattery works. Everybody likes being flattered, right? <laughs> um, First of all, I would say, uh, and my answer um, to all questions like this is think of what users would find useful. So think about, you know, if you're doing research on a topic and you're trying to figure out, does this particular author actually have the expertise that I need? I mean, I, I did this, I can't remember what it was. It was something I searched for in SEO just recently. And, uh, and I got a result from search engine journal and another from uh, search engine land and another from search engine Roundtable, And then there was a result from uh, a person who I'd never heard of. Um, and I just skipped over that and then I went to the next result. Now that's kind of how searchers search, right? Like they, they recognize, uh, they're looking for signals to say, yes, I can trust this information. So my thought is why would you not link out to places where your authors have been featured? Um, and we've had this discussion before about whether you should be using no followed links or followed links. I don't see any reason to use anything other than followed links. There's a little bit of a theory that I think comes from many years ago that when you link out, every time you link out that it can leak page rank from your site. And so I suppose the theory is that every time I link out, I'm potentially harming my rankings. I really haven't seen anything recent that backs that up. Um, and what I would like to do more is make sure that, uh, I mean, we know that links on our website are something that Google wants to follow. And although Google has made these changes to no follow where they could choose whether they want to look at a no followed link or whether they want to actually follow it, um, we want to do everything we can to make it easy for Google to figure out that uh, our authors are really good at what they talk about. So if I had an author who had written articles on authoritative publications, I would most definitely in their author bio link out to those places. I'd probably link to the specific posts, although it might be different in every situation. But again, think of it about a reader. If you're doing a, an article on, um, you know, how to do your taxes in 2021 and you're um, author for this article has written for many authoritative tax publications will link out to those specific articles. You basically want to say, look, like this author is so good that even this massive authority on doing your taxes has included him or her in, uh, their, uh, their authorship. So, uh, yes, I would link out with followed links. Um, and, uh, I also would use same as schema. Again, we don't know whether this helps or not, but there's no harm in doing it. And what we're trying to do is help Google to connect the dots. So let's say, uh, I had a particular author on my website who also wrote for search engine land. I can use same as schema, uh, to basically tell search engines. Yes, this particular author, whenever you see Jane Doe as an author on this website, it's the same Jane Doe who wrote for search engine land. Uh, and so that's something that potentially could help. 
Um, another uh, Q&A question here comes from Ludwig. And uh, again, gosh, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Uh, Ludwig says, I read your piece in Search Engine Journal's SEO Trends 2021. As an aspiring SEO expert, it was a joy to read it during Christmas Eve. Uh, incredible how much value you can get for free these days. <laughs> that's making me laugh. It's great. It's good. And th- you know what? That's It's funny because we give a lot of stuff away for free. But in me teaching you for free, I, uh, I get to put the knowledge in my head. Uh, for free. So it's very selfish. That's the main reason why I do this. Um, Quick question then, he says, I'm going to create a a website about the sport paddle, P-A-D-E-L. Maybe you've heard of it. I have not heard of paddle, although I did a little bit of research after I saw your question. He says, it's a big deal in Sweden where I live. My question to you is, should I, ex- uh, should I create an extensive ultimate paddle guide 2021? Or if I should chop this ultimate guide into smaller, more detailed blog posts that deal with every single topic connected to paddle individuality, instead of just throwing everything into one big guide. I know, uh, I'd love to know how you would go about doing this. So I, there's, I mean, this is a decision that really needs uh, more investigation for me to give you a thorough answer, but here's my thoughts on what I know so far. So the first thing I would do is uh, do some searches about your topic and see what's actually ranking. Um, and if there are massive authoritative sites that are ranking for most of your queries, then uh, you know, you, you've got to be really uh, careful about what you want to rank, uh, what you want to write about. You know, if, if all the sites that are ranking really well for uh, searches on Paddle in Sweden are sites that like really have large amounts of authority, then if you write a big article on Paddle in Sweden, uh, you know, your Google's probably not going to rank it above these, uh, these particular websites. So the first thing that you need to figure out is what level of EAT you have. And I would look through the quality raters guidelines and find as many, uh, things as you can that would be applicable in your area to determine who has EAT, who are the experts in your area who, I mean, I don't know this topic at all and I could do some research, but there's only so many hours in the day. Um, and so I'm going to leave you to do that research, but, uh, what you need to figure out is who are the experts and who are they talking about? Uh, and then you need to find ways to get those experts talking about you now. Uh, so there's two components in my opinion, to ranking a page, uh, competitively. One is having the EAT to rank. And so you need to look at every page that's currently ranking for, uh, the types of queries you want to rank for and ask yourself, could Google see me as being worthy of ranking amongst these? Now, if the answer to that's no, then I would maybe, I mean, you can still create a guide, but I wouldn't expect it to rank well. Uh, I would instead focus on smaller aspects that maybe the bigger sites have not covered. Now, this sort of fits in line with the second thing that you need to be thinking about when you're trying to decide what types of content you want to rank. Um, And that is to understand what the needs of searchers are. I've been talking about this a lot and the quality raters guidelines talk a lot about uh, whether a searcher's needs have been met. Now, when I did a brief uh, search for paddle, I saw that the first results that Google showed me were videos. And that means that maybe users find videos uh, useful. And so I would make sure that you use a lot of videos in your, um, in your posts, uh, other things you need to kind of brainstorm on, um, what could we do to get some of the people who are really known as experts in this sport, uh, to start talking about us. And that might be doing a study. It might be, it might be a video. It might be answering questions. Uh, a good thing to do is to look and see what's ring. If you see for any of these, like things about paddle, uh, that one of the sites that's ranking well is Quora or another, you know, like Yahoo answers or some site that really isn't an expertise in the subject, but just answers questions. Well, that often tells you that Google doesn't have an authoritative site that they want to rank for that particular query. And that can be an idea that, all right, maybe I can write a thorough article on this subject and, uh, do all I can to make it way more valuable than what's in the Quora post. And, uh, and that may have the opportunity to rank well. The next thing I do is, um, you know, start looking at all of the different topics that you could use 
when you're writing about this particular sport and break it into categories. And those will be your hub pages. I don't have great time to get into uh, hub and spoke design, uh, but I think this is a situation that would work really well for you where you have particular hubs that are important. And then you write blog posts to sort of back up those hubs uh, and link back to those hubs. So should you have a full guide? Uh, it's hard to say. Personally, I'd make the homepage well-structured and broken into similar sections as your blog posts. So I'd write a little bit of info uh, on each topic, you know, like, where can I play this? How do I get the equipment? That type of thing. And then in each of those sections on your homepage, I'd link internally to a blog post that you have on the subject. Um, and I think the best advice that I can give on this is write what you're passionate about. Um, don't write just for the sake of search engines. And if you're writing, uh, we've had people come to us with websites that they've said, look, we haven't done anything in terms of SEO. We've just written on our expertise and now we're starting to rank well. Uh, and so, you know, there's, there's definitely technical things and ways you can improve your website so that, um, uh, uh, that they can improve and do better. But, um, the websites that do best in today's Google algorithms are those that have the most passionate information. Uh, passionate is probably the wrong word, but information where you can say, wow, this site, this author, this person really knows their stuff when they talk on this subject. Um, and I'll leave you with, uh, one final piece of advice. And that is to thoroughly, thoroughly read Google's blog post on what webmasters need to know after core updates. The blog post has several questions you should ask yourself, um, in, in regards to your content. And, uh, if you can answer those questions, Thoroughly, like one of the questions is, is this content that you would expect to see in a printed magazine? And so many people are producing these blog posts that are just low quality, thin posts just to get keywords on a page that you would never see published in a magazine. So as long as you're following those guidelines, no matter what you do, you, it really should uh, be successful. Uh, I think, I think there's a good place to end it. Um, I'd love for your feedback again on this format. I, uh, you know, I have not covered, uh, absolutely everything. You know, I probably should, for those of you who are listening to this for news headlines, there's more stuff in newsletter. Uh, my thoughts on whether Smith is being used. Smith is a, uh, an algorithm framework basically, uh, that, um, can help Google to understand language in, um, even longer chunks of language than BERT. So I've talked about that in newsletter, uh, Google has updated the search console coverage report. Uh, and one of the, so we talked about all the different things in newsletter. The one I found most interesting was, uh, there's a new issue that Google can report on now that says indexed without content. So if a page appears in Google's index, but for some reason, Google can't read the content because it's cloaked or maybe it's in a format that Google just can't figure out, then those are going to appear in your index coverage report. So that's really, really interesting. Um, there's more stuff on what the daily limit is on the request indexing tool, what the maximum number of URLs and a robots.txt file is that you can disallow which hreflang you should be using, uh, if you have different country versions, but the same language, we got some information from John Mueller this week on that and lots of stuff in terms of local, we have, um, uh, stuff in newsletter about new Google, my business performance reporting. Uh, um, we dug up an old blog post from Google on local ranking factors. I actually tweeted about this, uh, this week and I'm, I'm in the process of writing an article because it, it triggered something in my brain where this post talked about prominence and prominence is so connected to authoritativeness. Uh, and so anyways, you'll, I think you'll find that quite interesting. And uh, there's a lot more in newsletter too. I'm not going to just read all of these, uh, these articles. Um, so please do let me know what you think about this format. It's more, uh, it's actually less preparation for me and just more talking about the things that I'm passionate about, uh, the things that excite me about trying to figure out what it is that Google values in websites. So hopefully you uh, enjoy this format. Um, I'm always open to suggestions though. Again, uh, Marie underscore Haynes on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. And I do hope that all of you in the United States are handling things okay. I hope that the transition of power uh, goes smoothly and that we don't have serious issues um, following this. Ah, just hang in there and, and, uh, and know that, um, things have to get better. They just have to get better, right? Thanks so much. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.